you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. LAist Studios. Just a heads up that in this episode, we talk about difficult issues like addiction and depression. A reminder that we are not clinical experts, and if you need professional support, there will be some links and resources listed in the podcast description. Yeah, no, I'm not okay. That's the name of this show, because I'm not okay. And maybe you aren't either. Or maybe you're just curious. Either way, I'm Diane Guerrero. If you're wondering why I started a mental health podcast, it's because I and my family have been struggling with mental health since as far back as I can remember. And the truth is, I am in the process of healing. And my journey to healing has been to seek the truth about myself and my community. So that's what this is. Conversations with people who are on their search for healing. We are facing a mental health crisis. And maybe the largest in American history. And so many people who are struggling with mental health aren't able to talk about it. Not to mention that young people of color are disproportionately affected by mental illness and it's harder for us to get the help that we need for so many reasons. This is a place where we will be vulnerable together. And the hope is that we normalize these conversations. And that's what this show is all about. Sometimes we'll talk to experts, and sometimes we'll talk to people like you and me. And sometimes we'll talk about things that we're scared or ashamed of. And later in this episode, that's going to happen for me. I'm going to have a conversation with my big brother, Eddie, and talk about these really hard things for the very first time. before we get into it, I'm going to give you some backstory. More in a minute. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. <laughs> yeah, I think they're so smart. Just, what the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Let me take you back when I was 12 years old in Boston. The year is 1998. And this is my girl, Dee, Grizel, and I calling the party line. Grizel. No biggie fucking doubt. This is Teddy Bear. I just want to give a shout out to Little D. Cut. And then this is me. No biggie fucking doubt. This is Little D. What's up? What's up, mi gente? I just want to give a shout out to Teddy Bear and Angel Face. And then D would come on and say, no, diggity fucking doubt this is angel face. <gasps> then she forget what she was going to say. So anyway, we would listen to other people's messages on a 
beeper. This was like literally a pager that we were calling into. We were calling to a number that belonged to some fucking rando person's pager just to try to hear our own voices and just to try to hear our own shout outs. And it was fucking magical. We lived in Boston. We were part of this large immigrant community that was working hard day and night, trying to make a life for themselves in the U.S. Boston became my home, but I was actually born in New Jersey. My parents had emigrated from Colombia with my brother Eddie, I think the year was 1982. I remember coming up in Jersey, I was like around, my memory goes back to when I was like five or six. I can remember when I was five or six years old. That's Eddie. Everything was exciting. It was back in the 80s. You know, you can imagine the scene. You know, people break dancing and and just everything was so new to me. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I come from basically a farm town, mm-hmm. you know, and then to come to like the epicenter of of hip hop and watching hip hop evolve and and just, you know, being part of something that nobody can fake. You know, you, if you were there, the people who were there know that you were there. At least that. Money was tight. Money was always tight. But my parents always managed to make a beautiful life for our family. And as with many teens, Eddie started struggling with anxiety and depression. And my parents tried to help, but they really didn't know what to do with that kind of behavior. I mean, my parents lacked the resources and the understanding. So Eddie began to cope with things that made him feel good. He began coping with drugs and looking for acceptance in the streets. I was not receiving the help because they were too busy working. They didn't have time to analyze. Or, you know, they didn't have the time to analyze. They figured it was, I was just another regular teenager, you know what I mean? And that I was going to get old past that stage. He literally turned to anything or anyone who didn't make him feel like a loser or a criminal. Like how our parents and our community were making him feel. He and his girlfriend at the time got pregnant, so he moved out. I think my mom pressured him into getting married. And then he got divorced. All the while, his mental health was deteriorating. Eventually, things got bad for me, too. When I was 14, my parents and my brother were deported, and I was left alone in Boston. I lived with friends until I graduated, and I coped with my feelings and this devastation the best way that I could. Eventually, I coped with drugs and alcohol, promiscuity, cutting, and most of all, not talking about anything that I was feeling because that felt like the safest thing to do. Eventually, I couldn't hold these feelings in anymore because it became unsustainable because I was facing real life and death situations. And so I started therapy for the first time. And there I learned tools and language to understand what I was feeling, what I was going through. I learned that my behavior was caused by my trauma and that if I didn't heal the trauma, the behavior would continue. I also learned that when bad shit happens, we need to talk about it. I talked to Eddie after this. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. 
one lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. In December, I traveled to Colombia to see my family. We went up to the mountains outside of Cali. I mean, really, I just wanted my mom to make me pancakes in the morning and dad to make me rice and beans for lunch. I wanted to feel the evening breeze and just sit with my family while we listened to salsa on the radio at night. And it was the perfect place to reconnect with my brother, Eddie. I knew he wasn't feeling too well. I knew he was going through a lot. And I hadn't seen him in two years, and I was nervous about this conversation because it was the first conversation, the first honest conversation that we've ever had about addiction and mental illness. And I was finally ready to listen and not take his illness or his decisions personally. And I was also willing to share some very personal things about myself so that we could find some common ground. Anyway, I'm really happy we did. Okay. So welcome to my podcast. Yeah, no, I'm not okay. I'm sitting here with my brother, Eddie. What's up, Eddie? How you doing, sis? How's it going? Man, um, it's going. It's going good. Yeah, I know. What do you mean? You know, you can see things when they're going good. They're good. I'm, I'm like working on... Trying to, I'm working on putting myself first. And so when you were like, why why are you guys hiding? I wasn't hiding. I was just like having so much anxiety today. Like okay. I woke up. I was part of the anxiety too. I'm sorry about that. That's not, that's not true. I think it's just, honestly, it's, we're here. We're with our family. We like don't spend this much time together all the time. And I think that, you know, I don't know. I just, I have a lot of feelings. Well, that, that in itself creates anxiety. You know, you feel like you have to meet expectations. So you feel like pressure. Like Yeah, I do feel pressure, which I'm trying to remind myself, yo, D, there's no pressure. Like, you're so good. Yeah. Um, but what I was saying this morning, I was feeling um, depression from thinking about the past. And I was feeling anxiety from thinking about the future. Yeah. So like... Why are we depressed? Because we're thinking about the past. That should already happen. Should we, we, should we wish we had and that we don't have it no more? That or, oh, I wish I could have been better. I, could, I wish I could have been a better daughter, a better brother, a yeah. better father, whatever. Yeah. That's the that's dwelling, the dwelling. Exactly. So anyway, so that was my day today. That's what I'm coming in with today. Okay. Um, and I'm just working on being patient. And I'm happy I'm here with you. Yeah. I'm so happy that you're here too. Thank you. I'm very happy about that. Like you said, you know, it's this is like an, a special event, like a like a shooting star or something, you know. I like wonder if we need to stop treating it that way. What you mean? Just putting so much on it, you know, letting the universe take care of us. No, I'm saying like when you don't see somebody for two years. You know, somebody you love, you want to see them again. And when you do see them again, it's like, wow, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a lot of, like, feelings. Yeah. One of the, I think one of the reasons, yes, you're right. Something that gives me anxiety is your well-being in particular. Because, one, I love you. But also, not but, but I love you and... It's hurt me for a long time that that you've been in a lot of pain. 
Were you talking about my addicting, addiction problem? I guess, okay, okay, so let me just start all over. Yeah, I know. I, I, look how hard it is for me to fucking say it. So <laughs> I feel like I have seen addiction throughout our family since I was a little girl. Like, my first examples of addiction were at home. Mom, dad, you, you know, people around us. Mm-hmm. That's all I saw and you know I have I have also experienced addiction issues you know whether it is you know drugs alcohol sex overthinking uh thinking about perfection and my body and whatever I, I've I've been addicted in different ways and mm-hmm. we all we all experience that but and I also have experienced drug and alcohol abuse in a way that has hurt me and that has affected me for over 10 years. Right. So, you know, I, this is what I'm living. But in, in, on the other side, you have lived something that is different from my experience with addiction. And so I wanted to explore that. I, want to have, I wanted the opportunity to talk to you on this podcast for our first episode. Right. Um, because I just think it's going to be really special and I know that you have a lot of insight on what this is and this is something that I'm, I'm tackling, you know what I mean? I'm working through it as a user as well, you know? So, take it away, my friend. Well, I just want to say, <laughs> I wanted to congratulate you because I know you struggle with mental health, anxiety and all of that. And um, it's not, it's not, strange that you would you know being you've been through a lot too mm-hmm. you know and um from from the all the times you come to visit this is the less violent you've been <laughs> <laughs> this is the less violent you've been it's been all the time so i i see you more under control of yourself like embracing wanting to be good wanting to feel good and not you know letting anger pass by because you know you're gonna get angry especially when you deal with these issues no but um you're letting them go fast (laughs) you're forgiving me quicker and i love you for that thank you i'm proud of you i appreciate that don't cry though i know i'm sorry i'm just like it's just like emotional because um yeah because i've been working hard and um and i'm just like really hard on myself when i'm when I'm not patient, when I yell at you, when I want to fucking break something, when I like am physical with you, and and it doesn't just manifest with you, it's everything, you know, and it's I'm out of control and and it's hurting me. So anyway, I just thank you for noticing that. Yeah, I have been trying. Yeah, <laughs> you're a blessing. You're a blessing because you know having you as a sister reminds me every day that you deserve somebody better. So so even though I have my falls, you know, like as far as I'm using, um, sooner or later I, 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 it clicks in my head I have to get out of that. Yeah. You know, I have to, uh, it has to stop. What? So it, make, it, it doesn't, like trying to be better again, like trying to get up or getting up will never not be important or will I will I ever stop trying to you know what I mean because I have a lot to live for you know mainly you and mom and my daughter and my grandchildren I know that's wild you have you have what are they to you they're uh great grand great grand no well Adiani's is my niece but then what are her kids to me your grand nieces really I think so wow I'm gonna look that up um, I wanted to ask you, brother, what what makes it so hard? What? Like to heal, to to stop. I don't know. Is this is you play you play your your mind plays a trick on you? Because you know addiction is a, is a it, it's an illness mm-hmm. of the mind of the psychic, and. Um, I think routine has a lot to do with it. I think some people just, when they use whatever substance it is, be it food or something, they're in a comfort zone for a short period of time. 
Um, unfortunately, the addiction to drugs itself um, is way more damaging than food. Yeah. And um, it can take you to areas where visibly, you know, they could, you could tell a mile away this guy's hasn't, you know, it's really struggling. If you're addicted to food, you look nice and plump and chubby. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you're addicted yeah. to crack, yeah. you know, you're going to look like a, like a skeleton. And also, it's damaging your brain. So, like, like reality is a completely different one. And not to say that your reality is worse or better than mine, but I'm saying that chemically, in your brain, that shit's changing you too. Yeah. So, it's not only, obviously, it's this routine. It's the repetitiveness of the addiction. Like, you're, like, what, like, chemically, we know that when you do drugs on Friday, um, you're like, you're going to be depressed the next few days. You're going to plump up. You're going to eat. You're going to be fucking like, oh, hurting all this. Then all of a sudden back on Friday, you're going to feel fine again. You're going to feel ready to go. That's yeah. your brain telling you, nah, we need this. This is what the, dr- this is what the drug is. So yes, it is this, obviously like your addiction is because of your pain and because of your mental health issues. We can get into that. But it's also because you have, we have trained our brain, you trained your brain to need this drug and now you're sick from it. Yeah, definitely. That's how it is. Because like when, when I go and buy it, mm-hmm. like before I even do it, I, my stomach just starts getting really sick. Mm-hmm. Like I'm at the stage where I even vomit before just thinking about using it. I think that my body is telling me and at a subconscious level you know, listen, man, I don't want this shit. It's making me nauseous, you know? Mm-hmm. But then there is something that, you know, impulses you to to just do it. And then after you do it, it's like, why did I do it? Right. You know what I mean? It's so stupid. But also you got to the point, and I have to like also say this, is that I totally get that. That's, that's, totally, that's science, right? What your body is doing is t- completely natural. But there's also this other level of it that I have also, that I have come to terms with in my own issues with addiction is the shame, the shame that is driving this me wanting to use and not use. And like when I use to punish myself in the worst ways to then having to build myself up to then all of a sudden my body telling me that I need drugs again and it's a fucking cycle all over again. True. But like what made what made you, me, and so many other addicts, right? Because this is something that happens to a lot of people, right? And we also need, we need to remove that shame, right? We have to understand that this is an illness um, that affects so many and it's not just you. It doesn't make you a fucking sicko. It doesn't make you a bad person. This is something that is happening to a lot of people because of the way that we treat mental illness in in around the world, mm-hmm. here in Colombia and in the United States, where right. we're from. Right. Um, but I just, I want to like, I want to ask you about, um, like, when do you think that that problem started because in in my mind and what I'm learning through my research is that yes, genetically we may be predisposed to addiction. Um, but, and, and maybe you have mental health issues that you haven't addressed. There's that, but there's also a component, a societal component of, our communities, our parents, our society makes people sick. Yeah. Well, I believe that all addiction lies or derives from the inability to accept things you cannot control. Mm. You see? For example, when growing up in Boston, you know, back in the 90s, it, I mean, it was... A Friday, it was Thursday, and you're thinking, okay, what, what am I going to wear tomorrow? You know, Thursday's not even done yet. And, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to get the five bucks for the, for, the beer, for, the beer, for the beer cup so I could keep drinking all night? And, like, something had to happen on a weekend. Mm. So it was that expectation, you know, socially you wanted to be on point. And 
and maybe you, you felt like you didn't accept yourself how you were, so you figured, you know, you experimented with drugs and like I, I got into cocaine mm -hmm. um, because I felt at that time that it made me a more sociable person, mm -hmm. linguistically, like, you know, speaking, using the, the verbal capabilities and, and just being a charming person. That takes a lot of work. That is, you know, it makes you feel good when a lot of people accept you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's addictive in itself. Mm -hmm. So you figure if these people don't accept me, then I'm not worth shit. Mm -hmm. So... You start, I started off with drugs to feel better, and then I ended up taking them not to feel bad, mm -hmm. basically. It's, it's, a, it's a very weird situation that drugs put you in, mm -hmm. you know? At first, you're in control. Then, you know, it controls you completely. It's very sad, really, because why do people take drugs? Because they feel that it makes them better people. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they cannot accept having lost that person or having lost that job or or being too tall or being too short, you know? Mm -hmm. So the lack of acceptance makes them look for something to make them feel better about that situation. Right. Talk to me about, like, growing up because when we were growing up, I'll tell you, like, one of the earliest memories that I have with you. Well, I have so many memories with you that are so, like, good and also sad. Mm -hmm. Um, some of my best memories with you are going to the movies, you taking me to Chuck E. Cheese, you taking me to the park, you taking me to 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 whatever store you were going to and buy me candy. Right. Um, I loved you making me pancakes. Um, you made me mac and cheese. You showed me like all these awesome movies. You were always watching the Nature Channel. I fucking love that about you. You watched all the coolest movies, fucking Goodfellas, Carlitos Way, Scarface. Fucking uh, Willy, the Willy Wonka. Um, well, just, not that one. <laughs> we saw, no, but that we saw at home. But Malcolm X, you fucking. Dude, but you I had. I saw Do the Right Thing. Coming like, up, you were a princess. Joints. You've always been a princess. I mean, you had all the videotapes of Disney. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. All the videotapes from, you know, what is it, Warner Brothers, Woody Woodpecker, and all that, all Bugs it. Bunny. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had it all. You had it all at home. Well, that's what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm, what, well, what I want to get to is that, like, obviously, us growing up, or not obviously, but my memories of us growing up was I was the princess, like, golden child that nobody, you know, could get near, near or say anything about or touch, and you were this like teenager who was angsty and upset and always got in trouble like that yeah. was sort of like the narrative i wonder how i mean well, I hear about that was it. like back in the 90s man it was like if you weren't getting in trouble you weren't nobody <laughs> like where i'm coming from you know so <laughs> you know everybody everybody was trying to live that scarface dream and you know it was back in the days when it was still possible to get rich or selling crack and shit but how and, were you even gonna do that what do you mean? How are you even going to... You've never sold drugs ever. I know. Well, that's... You know, that's... So it was like you, know, you either sell it or you do it. No, like, it's just... Everybody wishes that there were somebody in their minds, mm. you know, respected this way. So a lot of people come up with that dream at, at adolescent time. They want to be, you know, respected on the streets. And, you know, it was it's glorified to be a big, you know, drug dealer moving kilos and shit. You know, out of, out, of a, out of a million, maybe half of one would move kilos. You know what I mean? But, but what I want to know is, like, how is... Crime how, doesn't pay, by the way. No, crime does not pay. We know this. Yeah, we, we know this yeah. from firsthand experience. Yeah. I wanted to ask Eddie some more about these early days. Like, what does he remember from our childhood, from the early 80s? You know, being part of something that nobody can fake, you know. You, if you were there, the people who were there know that you were there. At least that. You know, if, you, <laughs> if you're not the expert or anything, they, they, they at least did the WAP when it was in style. He was still, he was there. You know what I mean? Or the hype. You know what I mean? And it's just a great time to grow up as a kid, especially in Jersey. Uh, especially in Passaic, Patterson and Clifton. 
you know, Garfield, that 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 area. And New York was like right of right twenty minutes away and my cousins, you know, it was always mystical to be around them. Yeah. That's why I I love them so much and I remember them so much. Yeah. Even though they're ingrates, they never even call. But they're wild creatures. We cannot contain them. Anyways, <laughs> um, it was a great memory. It's a great movie to have in your head. Yeah. Like from the architecture to the people to to what was important at the time. You know, like dancing. People were still battling dancing and stuff in the subways, man. It was awesome. You know, graffiti. So that graffiti art started coming in. You know what I mean? And it was beautiful to see these these people with kids with no nothing, you know, poverty background, people on welfare and shit, you know, roaches in their apartment and everything. Like, have this amazing talent to... They have to go to the grocery stores to steal the paint, first of all, you know. They got to steal the cans and then just make this beautiful art piece on the side of a train. I mean, just awesome. And I see that that you hold on to that. Um, and I hold on to it too. But why, what has made it so hard to like to be happy in present time? Well... You and, know, and, and and enjoy like what's going on now. What's happened to hip hop now? What's happened to art and and our family now? Like I feel like, and we talk about this because we have uh, we have depression. We suffer from depression. Is thinking about the past and glorifying the past and holding on to the past so much um, often means that you're depressed. Well, yeah. I mean, I think in my case. Like, I know I have to let go of that. Like, you know, what happened to me, I got deported and everything. You know, after living all my life somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sent back to some place where you're supposed to be from, but you're not really from there mm-hmm. either now. Mm-hmm. So then that's like a clash of titans right there. You know what I mean? You know, you, you're like, you don't know where the fuck you are. And then I've been here for 20 years mm-hmm. and I still don't feel this is my home. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, damn would you say the problem started there? I mean... Uh, lack of acceptance, like I said. Yeah. It, it just creates chaos in your life. When were you deported? But true acceptance. You, not just saying, yeah, and then not being at peace with it. You know what I mean? You have to really be at peace with something. If not, just be truthful to yourself and say, I cannot accept this. Why? And find a way. So, I, I of course... Oh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about that, about like when, how old were you when you were deported and like kind of like what, where did you see that the problem started, like really started? Well, no, I, I started, it started when my wife left me okay, because of my addiction problem. Mm-hmm. So lack of accepting that just, I was really young too, man. I could, I, I thought, I thought I, I didn't deserve a no. You know, mm-hmm. at that age, uh, a no is tragic. Like I, like I said, like I stated earlier, starting the show, mm-hmm. acceptance is all to a, to a young person, an immature person, a weak person, really. Because an addiction, you know, if you have an addiction, an addiction that, that sets you back, and you keep doing it, then you're weak. You know, you're weak-minded. But, unfortunately, but you were on, and you need help. Yeah, they didn't know how to handle it. They just didn't know. I mean, I get it. Mom and dad were doing their best. But also, we didn't talk about mental health. We didn't know if you were... Like, did mom ever say, like, Eddie's depressed? That's why no, he's doing drugs. Back like, in them days, that wasn't really... People didn't consider that. People thought mental health was um, assimilated to somebody really crazy in, a, in an asylum, eating their own shit. You mm-hmm. know? That's what mental illness was back then. Right. You know, uh, an addiction problem, yeah. Addiction, an illness, no way. Right. But now we know, no, it's not true. It is a, a mental health problem and a very serious one. Because it can kill you. It can kill you. When it's, when it's with drugs, it can kill you in so many ways. And you seem so afraid of death, which is like so interesting to me. I'm not afraid of death per se. I'm, I'm afraid of dying for nothing. <laughs> You know what I mean? Okay. No. I'm afraid of dying for nothing. Like, damn, man, I wasted my death on that. How about, like, you just want to go out peaceful and, like, not, and having changed your life, maybe not in the same, like, cassette, you right. know, or stay on the same track? 
you know, maybe on a different track. But what I do know is that, you know, we don't disappear from existence after we die. We, 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 we change form. That's how I feel. Do you blame mom for anything? No. She did the best she could. She was probably brought up in a worse environment. I believe that we had it better than her, and that was her job, to make sure we had it better than her. I think we had it 20 times better than she had it. Okay. By any means necessary, she got it done. I feel like also maybe children who suffer from mental health um, or anxiety or bipolarism or kids who suffer from that, especially in like families that we grew up in or neighborhoods that we grew up in or like at time periods that we grew up in, um, like didn't know how to address a kid's mental health. So if like if you resulted in smoking weed or, you know, going and trying to heal or medicate yourself, right? Because that's what it is, right? We use drugs because we're medicating ourselves. We're trying to like feel better. We're trying to like reach an equilibrium. So I feel like, I just remember like mom and dad making such a fucking big deal about you smoking weed. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't ever a conversation like, hey, what, you know, let's talk about this. Like, it's okay to get like, like, it's not okay. It's okay to do what it's okay to get high or like, hey, we rather you not do this right now while we're living with while you're living here uh, on your own time, whatever. I feel like because it wasn't talked about because it was made you were made to seem like fucking Satan's child yeah, that man, you just true. went the opposite direction instead of listening. So t- I want I want to hear about that, that shame that you I, I, I want to hear about growing up with mom and dad and you experimenting with drugs and them treating you like a fucking pariah. I mean, that's all I, I remember, like crying with you in the living room in the dark after you had been like probably like hit with a belt or something. Well, you know, the family, the family dealt in those in, in that mer- merchandise. So we weren't strangers to cocaine around the house, or I wasn't. I, I mean, I, I knew what it was since I was really young. You okay. Like, unfortunately, that, that's what an, uh, an imperialistic state that oppresses other countries causes. Mm-hmm. By any means necessary, people are going to try to make a better living. It's mm-hmm. just a natural human reaction. And circumstances were, that's what our family had. You know, that's what our family had. So we're a product of the cocaine era in the United States, believe it or not. Why do I feel like Michelle Pfeiffer in that fucking scene? Good thing that, you know, we learned quickly and we got out of that business really fast. Because a lot of people lost their lives on that, especially in the 80s. So, I mean, so you're saying it wasn't it wasn't because mom shamed you. When I mean, you, it was when you always around the house or something. Dude. Like at parties, you would see her friends doing it. So I'm like, why is it? Why is she telling me? Why is she coming down so hard on me? But it's okay for her friend to do it in the bathroom. Okay. And her friend is passing. And they would remember Carlos. Yeah. He would pass me the dollar, hundred dollar bill with the coke in it. You know, and I was 14. Whoa, that shit's fucking. And we had the good shit too back in the days. Back in the days, it was the pure quality shit. we wanted to live big and i hate that materialistic fucking capitalism ingrained in your i wanted the scarface desk with the lion chained next to him same you know what i mean if it wasn't that it was you weren't on nothing (laughs) society really fucks us up that's what i felt like we always chase expectations but it was like the wrong false sense of security false sense of security and like just and like not changing the fucking narrative. It's like what I'm learning right now through therapy and through controlling my anger and ever, all the work that I'm doing is like everything is perspective. Everything is changing Definitely. the nar- changing the narrative. If yeah. you are feeling some kind of way, if you're dwelling on something, all you got to you have the power to say, you know, you know what? I'm grateful to be here right now. What what am I focused on? What am I what are what are my intentions? And start there. You have the ability to change your story. No doubt. I mean, 
it's not always about removing something. Sometimes you got to remove yourself, you know? It's not about getting that shit out the way. It's about you getting yourself out of the out of that shit's way. Mm, what so, do you mean? And it's always going to, you know, the beautiful thing about the here and the now and the present, and it's one of the reasons why Narcotics Anonymous, um, I probably belong to that group, and I don't care about the anonymity, um, is that they... They stress that, you know. The here and the now is the only thing you can change. Mm -hmm. Yesterday is depression. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow is anxiety. Mm -hmm. So today is right now, as a matter of fact. Not even today. Just the present. The here and the now. And why bring yourself more problems from, from the here and the now so tomorrow could be less than what it should be, you know? Because it's not the same thing waking up sober than waking up fucking with a bazooka high. You know what I mean? Mm. You know what I mean? With a bazooka um, hangover. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like you miss opportunities when you when you miss a day. Mm -hmm, of course. When you're in your room because you feel sick, you know, you don't go out, you don't do pot, you don't politic, you don't make connections, then it's a less of a chance that you're going to make something. Yeah. And it's about making, it's about um, building, it's about creating, it's about, you know, exploiting life. Sure. Living life. Did you say exploiting? Yeah. Can we change the word from exploit to well, you know, live to... Oh, taking advantage of it. <laughs> All negative. <laughs> Hijacking it, taking it by the horns. Awful. Stripping it of everything it's got. Awful language. Because it's there for me. So can I ask you a question? When you say, I understand about living the here and now, and that's important, but also it's important to think about the long term as well. Like, and giving, like understanding that you need to protect yourself along the way. Because if you're just living in the here and now and it's like, fuck it, I want this, I'm just going to go ahead and get it and you fucking lose your papers and you lose all your money. and Yeah, man. It's so, so it's like you got you to gotta be, you know, what, what does here and the now mean to you? You got to be mentally apt to keep stuff and not abuse um, your resources. Rather, you know, being very... Balanced? Balanced with it and enjoy it. What's making you not balanced and enjoy it? That's a tough question. I think the lack of acceptance. I would, I would, re, I would refer back to that. So you think that once you say, once you accept your what? Once you accept what, will you be ready to? I, once I accept the fact that I am where I am and it is what it is, you know, I think I can move on. What is it going to take for me to get to that to that clicking in my subconscious? I don't know. You know, it could be probably anything. What do you, are you going to like? Like one day I could wake up and just read something in the paper and it just clicks. So you think it's just going to click? I feel like we've sort of, you've been here 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> here we go I'm just saying you've been here 20 years because of something fucking super tragic and unfair that happened to our family no family should be separated uh, from deportation and fucking split up like that and taken to a different country that you don't even know especially you 18 years old who you've never you've never been to Colombia I mean you, you haven't been to Colombia Colombia wasn't your country and you were just dropped in and said they said, go ahead, fend for yourself. So yeah. I understand that pain. Suckers. Yeah, it's not it's not right. And that's wrong. And guess what? That's fucked up. The government did that to our family and it's not okay. Um, But I feel like you've been, and I hear you, that experiment is a good experiment too. It's to say, let me see what the world has to offer, what it has to tell me. Let me listen and let's see if something will click. Sure, but it's been 20 years. Yeah. So, are you going to change that approach? Don't you think maybe changing that approach? Like I said, it's some. It's not something that I have control over. When I feel sad about that, you know, when I feel, when I get so down, when I when I get so down while I'm in thought, I'm reminiscing and then I'm just hurting. You know, like damn, I wish I could catch the orange line and shit and go to Filene's and get a pair of fucking your bros. You know what I mean? But I can't do that. 
I can't get back the time that I lost with mom and dad and you. We can't get back. We You can't get that back. Yeah, well, I think this therapy will work. A lot of therapy and a lot of self-acceptance, meditation. I got to get back into meditating. So you want to go to rehab is what you're saying? Well, I'm, I'm looking at options. You know, I don't want to... I don't want to be really locked up, you know. I'm tired of doing the lockup thing. When have you done the lockup thing? Well, uh, you know. And for how long have you ever done it? I understand, but no, no. I but our <laughs> audience doesn't understand. Can you tell our audience what, how long have you ever done the lockup thing and how and and? Well, the longest I've ever been in rehab is five months. After five months, I mean. So in twenty years, the longest you've ever been in rehab is five months, and you and you don't see like a pattern or a problem by only spending five months. Well, you could, you could, you could. And and then after that, every relapse, you've only done a month or two. Yeah, but you could, you could, you could lock yourself up for forty years and still not. You know what I mean? It's. I don't believe the time has anything to do yeah, with Yeah, but it. I don't think your pattern of, of healing has changed. I don't think you've been doing anything different. Like, it's not like you've tried being, I'm not even saying locked up. You just don't, you haven't tried anything for more, for an extended period of time with anything, either locked up or in one of those group homes or even like, you know, AA or Narcotics Anonymous. You haven't done anything for a very long time. And that's why I keep, I, you have programmed your body and your brain. I'm saying you got to look at that science, science part of it that says, hey, maybe this pattern that you keep on attempting for 20 years isn't working. So what is what what can we do to maybe change that? Let's just, just try something different. Maybe staying committed uh, to a program for more than five months just to experiment that. Like if you if you're so open to experimenting with other shit, why can't you experiment with being committed to healing, not trying to like go out there and get a job like as soon as you're feeling better and and you've had, you know, time to like detox, you want to go back and try to find a job and and you do. The thing is you do, you find a job and you hustle and but why do you want to stay in that hustle? Why can't you just heal first and then see what uh, what things can be possible out there because we don't have to live like that. We don't have to live like that. We can live in peace. And you can get everything that you want. You don't have to keep on like struggling and fucking fighting tooth and nail to get it. Right. But we've made progress. I mean, I don't think I've ever had a conversation like this with you. No, we haven't. Well, maybe the last time I was probably like seven. <laughs> when I made you poopos, octopuses out of, out of hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying... It's interesting and it's cool to like hear you describe your experience like on such a heightened level. It takes and, a toll on you. And I'm kind of already and I it's like I it's like I I was at the finish line and then all of a sudden I had to go right back to the start. Yeah. That's basically what it is. I, I compare it as to being in a bank line, you know. Like they're so long and boring. Like would you get out of line before getting to the cashier if you're in the in the in the middle of it? And that's basically what it is, man. Some people are far along and they go back and some fall some get up some fall never get back up mm -hmm. but you know i want to become responsible with my work with my with my salary you know just not being a nuisance to anybody else mm -hmm. you know not letting my problem especially my problem become somebody else's problem so it has to it you know i think it's a lot of, of logistics okay. around the whole thing not just do it to do it but you have to make sure it's going to be a good experience so that you'll be fulfilled and you won't need it. Right. But also there's there's so many things that, that need to come to play so that you can change that pattern and change that behavior, which is like something needs to happen. What needs to happen is you get healthy, you have a space and an outlet to share your feelings truthfully. Yeah, no, I, like I said, man, it's, it's maturing, man, I guess. Because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the more... Believe it or not, more restraint than before. I believe you. And I, I, I believe, you know, when you, when you're a good person, you know how far you could be, and you lament when you go too far. Mm -hmm. And you always are in constant, you know, seeking constantly, just not being a burden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I have to take my falls, I'm gonna, it's me by myself. Yeah. 
not mm-hmm. bother anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I totally do, brother. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for. Thank I you. I love you too. Okay, so that was real. We're going to continue to have honest conversations on this show with all kinds of people, and each one of them are human beings just doing their best. If you've got a story that you want to share, send it my way. Record it on your phone's voice memo app and email it to yano at lastudios.com. Yeah, No, I'm Not Okay is a production of LAS Studios. Remember to rate and review our show. It helps people to find it. If you like it, share it with your friends. The more people we can get to have conversations about mental health, the better. Jessica Pilot is our talent manager and producer. Our executive producer is Leo G. Web designed by Andy Cheatwood and the digital and marketing teams at Southern California Public Radio. Thanks to the team at LAS Studios, including Taylor Kaufman, Kristen Hayford, Kristen Muller, Michael Cosentino, Robert Joe, Mildred Langford, and Leo G. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Additional support comes from the Angel Foundation, supporting transformational leaders, and by the California Healthcare Foundation, dedicated to improving the mental health care system for all Californians. Studios. The Colorado River is running dry. Water may not reach millions of people. So if there's no water, there's no water for everybody. It's up to California's lead negotiator, a 28-year-old. This is a historic thing coming. And six other negotiators to find a solution. I want an agreement that lessens the pain for all of us, not just some of us. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water deal maker, wherever you get podcasts.